If you've got your Bible this morning, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to be going over most of the verses there at the beginning of the chapter, but let's center in in our scripture reading beginning at verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. In this 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul continues the general theme of Christian liberty. He has been dealing with this for a few chapters chapters prior to this. The Christian faith has freed the Corinthians of that day from burdensome rules, uh, things that they had to do. Uh, They had experienced all of that in pagan religions and in the Jewish religion. And now they're free of that. And so this is a day for many of real spiritual celebration. With this new freedom, also, of course, came new responsibilities. They were called upon to practice unselfish love and restraint in the exercise of their newfound freedom. In our age, we have super planes. The military has made some planes that uh, can take off straight up and can fly without any detection of anything anywhere. It's just unbelievable what they have developed. We have super planes. We have super cars. Have you seen some of the new cars that are coming out uh, this year? Some of them are just unbelievable, uh, what all they have and what all they can do and how fast they can go in a short uh, space. It's just unbelievable. We also have some super trains, trains that go 200 miles an hour, Trains that do this, that do that, that have all kinds of amenities that uh, will help you in your stay upon the train. You know, in a day when we have all these super things, there have also arisen some folks uh, that like to be thought of as super Christians. Uh, We have a super Christian who is one who stands, he thinks, head and shoulders above everybody else. You know, they're way up here, and all the rest of us are way down here. We're just kind of common folk, and they're special. These super-Christians may be moving down the King's Highway with their Holy Spirit motor revved up, with their mind caught up into the seventh heaven, and their eyes focused on the second coming. Perhaps the warning signals are flashing. But it's not signaling the rapture, but indicating that it's time to stop and get a spiritual checkup. A close look at this account given by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 reveals a religious people who were in great need of just that kind of a spiritual checkup. 
They were God's people, yes. They were washed in the blood, yes. They were members of his church, yes. And even more, they were the sons and daughters of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But something was wrong. And everybody knew it. And Paul knew it. And Paul wrote this epistle, this letter to them, to point out the difficulties that were going on. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he corrects about, I don't know how many, a hundred different areas that have gotten way out of kilter uh, with the uh, Christian message and the Christian practice. Paul gives the Corinthian Christians three points at which they need a spiritual checkup. Christians need to check their confidence in religious symbols. In verses 1 through 5, we see that the Israelites, long before, had all the credentials, but they did not please God. I I know a uh, family in Chattanooga. I knew them well when I was growing up there. They had all of the credentials that anybody could hope to have. They were well-to-do. They had a good name in the whole community. They had prestige. They had clout. They had religious honesty and involvement. They had athletic prowess in every member of the family. The family had six children, all boys. The oldest was my age, and he followed in the family tradition with honor and ability. He was a great football player. He was offered, if you can believe this, 66 college scholarships. And he looked at all of them, you know, and studied it, uh, talked to people, had all kinds of counsel, and he decided to go to West Point. And he went there. And he served with distinction and then went on to serve our country with distinction. The second son was turned differently. He had all the credentials that the first one had, all the credentials. But he was dishonest, he was mean, and he was hateful. He needed a checkup and a different emphasis in his life. Verse 2 says that the Corinthians were baptized, they had partaken of the Lord's Supper, they had become, however, in this process, overconfident in their credentials. Johnny Manziel was perhaps the greatest college football player in America for a couple of years. He won the Heisman Trophy, which is annually given to the best college football player in America. He won that in his freshman year. He had all the credentials. I mean, everybody wanted him. But he was a failure when he went into the pro ranks. You know why? He liked to party all the time. He was drunk all the time. He was doing this and doing that all the time, none of which focused him on what he was supposed to be about. He was terrible. 
he was a failure. Many church, uh, many churches are, are having some Christians in them uh, today that are overconfident in their credentials. They have been baptized, yes. They partake of the Lord's Supper, yes. They're filled with the religious knowledge, yes. And busy with some religious activities. Now, the Pharisees had all of those things. But Jesus was more critical of the Pharisees than anybody else. He was more critical of them than he was the sinners of his day. He wanted to get with the sinners and help them to a saving faith. But the Pharisees thought they knew everything. And they couldn't be helped because they were head and shoulders spiritually above everybody else. They were way up there, and everybody else was way down here. Well, they were not loving. They were not caring. But I'll tell you something that they were. They were arrogant. They had arrogant all figured out. They had mastered being arrogant. Now, we don't want that to happen to any of us that are here today. The second point, Christians today need to check their pattern of behavior. The Israelites were God's people, but their behavior was not godly. Verse 6 says, they lusted after evil things. Verse 7 says that they practiced idolatry. Verse 8 says that they committed immorality. Verse 9 says that they tempted God. Verse 10 says that they murmured against their spiritual leaders. Christians today are God's people, but occasionally their behavior is not godly. Some Christians lust after pornography. I read these little factoids in the paper, I'm sure you do too. It's always very, very upsetting to me when I read that half of the people in America check in on pornography at least once a week, and many thousands, tens of thousands of people every day. Now, if half the people in America are doing that, what does that mean? That means a whole lot of people go to church are. You know, checking in, lusting, in the area of pornography, taking illegal drugs. Some practice idolatry when they worship their yacht or their golf game. Some commit immoral acts. Some tempt God. We follow society sometimes in the wrong ways. So many in our society today have no morals whatsoever. You know, it used to be, when I was a kid, that you would date somebody and you would have seven or eight or nine dates and you would hope that on the tenth date you could kiss them. (laughs) Well, guess what? In our day and time, it's, it's just common to go back to the house and go to bed. First date. 
with whoever you're going out with. If we follow society and we follow the world in our thoughts and actions, we are not pleasing God. We might have all kinds of credentials. But if we're doing these things that I've just listed, then we're not pleasing to God. Some Christians continue to murmur. They not only did that in Corinth, but they do it in America today. Dr. Laidlaw talked about this Wednesday night in his sermon. We work real hard here at Trinity to enlist the right people to lead in all the various areas of our church. We have a whole lot of different committees and different organizations. There's a music committee. There's a sound uh, uh, committee. uh, There's a decorations committee. There's a food committee. They work down in our kitchen. Uh, We have a committee for the buildings. We have a committee for this. We have a committee for that. And we try and enlist the right people to lead those committees. You know what happens is uh, some people, they don't like the person that we chose to be the chairman of whatever committee. And so they murmur. And they talk about them and they say, you know, I don't like that. Don't like him, don't like her. Well, the scripture says that we are supposed to support the leaders in our church. That we are supposed to help them. That we are supposed to pray for them. That we are supposed to walk with them and serve wherever we can. In Corinth, there was a lot of murmuring going on against the church leaders. And God was not pleased with that at all. It's my goal that we would continue here to work together. It seems like things have just kind of rolled along in almost perfect fashion during these recent years. It has really been a joy to serve with Ed and to serve with Ross. It has really, really been a joy to serve with these two giants for God that have been in the ministry for longer than Jim has been alive. (laughs) It's really, really been wonderful. God is really blessing our church, and we're thankful about that. In a few weeks, we're going to be going into our new building. It's about 50 feet that way. There will be plenty of room for all of our Bible study groups. There will be a nice choir area that we have never had before in the history of this church. There will be an office space for Jim, who has never had an office. There will be storage space, which we have never had. There's going to be a huge area for storage. And most of all, we are going to have really nice women's restrooms. (laughs) You know, the only thing that I have heard of in this church that has been kind of a general complaint is the women's restroom. Well, I want you all to know that Bill and Ray Regis have worked on this. Where are you all? I know you're in here somewhere. They're right there. Y'all raise your hand real high. I want you all to know 
that they have worked tirelessly in our new building to do all sorts of different things, and they have voluntarily done a great job. Let's give them a big hand. They have also done the ladies' restroom. And uh, it's so nice that people are going to be coming in from surrounding counties <laughs> to see Our Lady's restroom. We're going to have some classes on discipleship. I've always uh, wanted that uh, here at Trinity, and we're getting around to doing it. Uh, if you would like to really grow spiritually at a, at a faster pace, then I pray that you will get in to these discipleship classes. Now, we have two of our finest women that are leading a class for the women in discipleship. We need two good men from this congregation to volunteer to lead a men's class. Now, please uh, think about it, pray about it, call me if you'd like to do that. Because we want to have a discipleship class for both groups. Now, we're just about to go in the next two or three weeks. So we want to get this class up and going as soon as possible. All right, point number three. Christians need to check their attitude toward religious pride. In my life, I have seen all sorts of things in church. I've spent my whole life in church. I've been pastoring for 52 years. I have seen, I guess, almost everything. You know, the thing that irritates me the most is when somebody tells me how spiritual they are and how super they are and how much farther advanced they are than anybody else. That irritates me no end. I think I told this one Sunday night, but I'm going to tell it again. I had a lady in the church one time that it, when anything would ever come up, this lady would stand up and she'd say, Well, we all need to get down on our knees and put our faces on the floor and pray about this. And she would say that, you know, didn't matter what the issue was. That's what we all needed to do. And she kept doing that for years. I got so tired of hearing her say that. So, you know, after hearing that about a hundred times, I told this friend of mine that was on the staff with me, I said, uh, I want to go by her house. We both had been out working in the churchyard. We both had on blue jeans. I said, now let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to her house, and we're going to talk until we find something that we need to pray about. And then I'm going to say, why don't we get down on our knees and pray, put our faces on the floor? And uh, he looked at me like I had gone completely crazy. I said, I want you to pray for 30 minutes, and I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. And then, if we don't feel like that's enough, we're going to pray some more. Well, we got to the house. This subject came up, and I said, well, you know what? That's a very serious subject. We need to get down on our knees and put our faces on the floor and pray about it right now. 
And she said, oh, no, no, we, you know, we don't need to do that. I, yeah, yeah, we do need to do it. So let's do it right now. Let's get down on the floor, on our knees, on our faces, before the Lord, right now. She kept making excuses why we shouldn't do that, couldn't do that, didn't want to do that. So after about 15 minutes of her denying us uh, doing that, I said, well, okay. And uh, we said our goodbyes and left. That lady never again mentioned <laughs> getting down on our faces on the floor before the Lord. That was hypocrisy. And I was tired of it. Well, one of my concerns is, is that when we finish this building and we have a really nice place and all the trees and the bushes are put in, I think they're coming in uh, in the next week or two, and we have everything beautiful and everything spacious, that some of our church, I'm afraid, will say, you know, I've been working on this, working on this. Now, I'm just going to sit down and relax. I've had that in former churches where we worked real, real hard on something and we finally got it done. And guess what happened? Everybody in the church sat down. They thought, well, you know, we finally did it. It's finally over. Thank God. We don't have to do that anymore. It's done. And you know what happened? Instead of the church moving forward with the new and great facilities, it actually went down a little bit because everybody sat down, and people weren't uh, getting with it. Now, I'm praying that our intensity in ministry will increase and not decrease, that we will want to become a part of the service ministry that the Lord would have us be about here at this church, that we would not become proud and arrogant and sit down. I want to put it into third gear. I want us to really move ahead as we have more space and more opportunities to do that. Paul gave a warning to the Christians in Corinth not to be like the Israelites in verse 11. Paul saw the Corinthians were following the same pattern that the Israelites had followed. Paul says that the Israelites displeased God. They were arrogant. They thought they were better than everybody else. They were very arrogant. And guess what happened? A lot of them were left out in the desert. Verse 12, Paul says, that the Corinthians should be very careful spiritually lest they fall. They had become too proud, too arrogant. We certainly don't want that to happen to us. Paul gives the right attitude for Christians in verse 13. He says, remember that God is faithful. Remember that God is with you during the hardest times of your life. Remember that God wants you to serve and have a heart toward ministry all the time. Remember that God will be with you in the difficult moments. That there won't be such a great burden upon you that you're just going to be smashed and squashed. It isn't going to be like that. 
The Lord God Almighty will be with you and will lift you up and give you the strength and the power that you need in him. Well, a physical checkup, as you know, when you go to the doctor, is to check on your ears and your eyes and your nasal cavity and your heart and your lungs and your liver and your kidneys and all the stuff. And when you go in and you get all that checked out and and they say, you know, you're in good shape. You feel great. You've had a checkup and you passed. Well, Christians need a spiritual checkup. Every once in a while, to determine their spiritual well-being. You know, all across America, there are some Christians that are doing the wrong thing. Uh, you know, we, we celebrate uh, with Ed uh, this occasion. He's never had any affairs. He's never cheated uh, any church over anything. And you know what? There's no big articles about him in the newspaper. But you let a preacher get on the wrong road, the wrong path somewhere, oh, man, they'll play that up big. Well, confidence in credentials is the wrong thing. The wrong pattern of behavior would be a huge mistake for us. The wrong attitude toward religious pride is something that we just shouldn't have. We just shouldn't have that. Sometimes we fall short because we get arrogant and we get proud. We certainly don't want that to happen here. A confession of our shortcomings would be good. A reliance on God's spirit would be good. A disciplined Christian life is the prescription that God wants us to have. That's the pill that we need. And we get that through his word and through praying that the Holy Spirit of God would lead us and guide us and direct us in all that we're about. I close today with a story. Tony Campolo is a very popular Christian speaker and writer, written a lot of books, spoken at, I guess, thousands of different conferences and uh, platforms and whatnot. Once he went to the West Coast to speak in a conference that was going to last two or three days, when he got to the hotel room, he, you know, got all settled in and everything, and he laid down, but he couldn't go to sleep. He kept tossing and turning. He just couldn't go to sleep. And this went on and on and on. So about 2.30 in the morning, he got up and he said, you know, as as I was coming in here, I remember about two blocks down the road, there was looked like a greasy spoon restaurant. I'm going to go down there and get something to eat and see if that'll help. So he got up, got dressed, walked down there, went into the greasy spoon place, ordered a little food and sat down, started eating. Just a few minutes later, some ladies of the night came in, a whole bunch of them, and uh, they just kind of filtered in and sat, out at some, sat down at some of the tables there. The night manager was uh, helping them, and 
Campolo said uh, to them, to the night manager, he said, who, who are those ladies? He said, well, they're prostitutes. He said, they're ladies of the night. And uh, Tony thought that was really interesting, and he kept eating. And uh, he heard one of the ladies say, tomorrow is my birthday. So tomorrow night, I want all of y'all to say happy birthday to me. Well, after they left, Tony got up and went over to the night manager, and he said, could you do something for me? Could you get a big cake made, a nice cake, and let's put on it happy birthday and then her name? Could you do that for me? And the night manager said, oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. He said, well, good. So he paid him a good bit of money, and said, I'm going to come in now tomorrow night, and I want to see you give it to that lady. So the next night, he was up late, and he walked down to the Greasy Spoon place, and he went in and sat down. And here, all at one time, here come in all these ladies uh, from the street. And the night manager goes over and gives them, gives to this one lady, this really nice cake. With her name on it. Happy birthday, her name. And so the women just broke out clapping and uh, uh, singing happy birthday to her. And she cried and she cried and she cried. And when she finished crying, she couldn't cry anymore. She said, you know, nobody in my life has ever done anything this nice for me before. I just can't believe it. Somebody has done this for me. And they talked for a while, and then they all left. The night manager came over to Tony Campolo and said, uh, why'd you do that? And Campolo said, well, I'm a Christian. And you know, I go to a church where we try and encourage everybody to do nice things. For people like that. The night manager said. I don't believe that. I don't believe you. He said if there were ever a church like that anywhere. I would join it. At Trinity. With the added facilities. And the added blessing of our Lord. We want to do the things that would show that we are not filled with pride, that we are not arrogant, but that we have a desire to serve and to lift up our fellow man. I hope that that's what we'll do. This morning, if you're in the house and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, this would be a great day. This would be a great day to do that. Just to slip out from wherever you're seated, walk down to the front. I'll say, what decision are you making? And you would say, I want to make public my profession of faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I would say, have you confessed your sins to him? And you would answer, and I would say, have you trusted in Christ to be the master of your life? And you would answer that. And then we would present you to the congregation. And there would be great joy in the house. Today, if there are some that are visiting and you have thought about joining with us, this would be a great day. 
a great day. If the Lord leads you, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, I pray that you would slip to the aisle and slip to the front and take a stand for Jesus and his church today. Let's stand together as we sing, I'll be waiting.